My name is Will Small, and I'm trying to become the man my kids need me to be. To my fellow men, I think we've all got some work to do. What if it's time to rebuild what we call manhood for the sake of ourselves and the generation growing up behind us? It's not always easy talking about the real stuff, but we can't afford not to. So let's get into it. This is the Mankind Podcast. What's been your experience with anxiety? One in five Australian men will experience an anxiety condition across their lifetime. So many of you listening will have personal experience and understanding around this topic. And every single one of us will have people around us in our lives who struggle with anxiety, even if we're not aware of it. So it really is an important topic for all of us. But part of the problem, pointed out by my guest on this episode, Matt Grimwood, is that people often have a hard time articulating their experience of anxiety. Putting it into words can be really difficult. Thankfully, Matt is someone who has learned to do this really well. Matt is so passionate about helping people in this area that he recently started his own podcast called Anxious Adulting. Now, Matt is the perfect person to host this conversation, not only because of his lived experience, but because he's such a down-to-earth and relatable dude. He's done a carpentry trade, as well as a film degree. He's funny, but he's also got a lot of depth. He moves in a lot of circles across the central coast, and everyone who knows him thinks he's a top bloke. So whether you're listening to this on the tools, at a desk, driving, or doing something else, get your ears around this conversation, and hopefully you'll feel like you're hanging out with me and Matt. Matt Grimwood, it is really cool to be uh, sitting with you today. Thanks for your time, and invite me into your into your your pad here so how do you introduce yourself to people people have never heard of you before you've got a good reputation but how do you like to introduce yourself <laughs> um it's a bit of a tough one uh, I think I kind of introduce myself as a few different things depending on who I'm talking to or what we're talking about I think I'd probably describe myself as a bit of a dabbler I'm a carpenter by trade I have a passion for filmmaking and I just finished my degree in film production I make rings. I have a little uh, clothing line that I run pretty much just for myself and my mates. Um, but yeah, it's so a cool. A, bit of an interesting question, that one. <laughs> I, I love describing yourself as a dabbler. Mm. I've spoken to a few people that like, and I, I'm in this category as well, we just struggle to know when you're on a plane, which happens less these days, although it's starting to happen more, but you have to fill out the occupation on the travel card and it's like, yeah. what the heck do I put there? Yep, definitely. Dabbler. Yeah. Have I, you ever written that on there? No, I haven't. I always tend to write something that's definitely not anything that I do. (laughs) Like the old, like go in and say you're a dolphin trainer or something like that, which is definitely not the case. Nice. Well, you could be. Sounds like you you do enough of a mix of things that I wouldn't be surprised if you went in that direction. Yeah. Well, you're also a podcaster. Yeah. You, you recently started a podcast called Anxious Adulting. Yes. And I've, I've had a listen. I love it, man. So it's a really great show. People should check it out. Um, maybe just, uh, share a little bit of like the, what sparked creating this podcast for you? 
Uh, I have a, a wellness coach that I see, uh, Cricket Ambler, who was actually my guest on the second episode. And I spoke to her about wanting to do something about anxiety and wanting to sort of get the message out there. And having a background in film, I thought it would be cool to make a film, but it's also one of those things that you really have to sit down and give it the time to sit and watch a film. And then also anxiety is such a broad topic it'd be hard to narrow it down to a short storyline without diving into all of it. Mm. So uh, we spoke about a podcast and I listen to a lot of podcasts. It's a new way that a lot of people are consuming their media because you can go about your tasks of a day. You can be washing the dishes and listening to a podcast or driving to work or driving from work. So I thought, you know, I don't have a huge amount of experience in sound or all that sort of stuff, but I figured, you know, I just dive on in. I got a few friends that are really knowledgeable in this field. So I kind of just picked their brains a little bit and went, all right, let's have a go. Let's see what we I go. I love it, man. I mean, adulting is hard enough, right? And there could just be a podcast called Adulting. Yeah. <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs> who knows how to do that? Yeah, seriously. Um, but I love that integration of like mental health. How do you live with it? Um, now, anxiety is a word that has become pretty familiar in recent years. I think back to even when I was in high school, it's probably talked about way less than it is now. Mm, so definitely. that's a good thing. Yeah. But with that, you know, the more familiar a word becomes, it can kind of lose some of its meaning in a way because it just we just have our assumptions. Mm. So I think it helps to understand that word through people's experiences, through people's stories. So for you, could you just share a little bit about your own kind of journey and story around anxiety and what that means in your life? Definitely. So anxiety for me has been a pretty long journey, pretty much as far back as I can remember. I think I was around nine or 10. Um, I remember seeing the news a lot and all the different things that were going on in the world at the time, all the bad things that the news always tends to cover. And when the 9-11 event happened, that was on, you know, repeat on every single station. Mm. The whole world was shook up by it, but it really impacted me. That was kind of the first time I really thought that there's actually people out there who want to kill for the sake of killing. And that concept had never crossed my mind before, being a you know, innocent little nine-year-old kid. So it really shocked me for a while and, and I just went through a few years of just really deep fear mm. of everything, really. So my parents you know, took me to see a few people and from there we kind of started chipping away at not getting me better but getting me better at coping with it. Mm. But anxiety is one of those things that's really hard to manage in kids and in younger people and in anyone really because it's so different for everyone. So someone who's experiencing anxiety can find it really hard to express how it feels to them and what's actually happening to them. So, you know, if you can't articulate what you're actually feeling, how is someone who's on the outside supposed to help in that scenario? So mm. it's been a back and forth battle pretty much my entire life. Sometimes I'm really good. Sometimes I'm not so good. But it's now in the recent years I've kind of realized that, you know, that's life. You know, it's not something I'm ever going to get rid of. It's not something that tomorrow they're going to come out and say, look, there's this new anxiety pill and you take one and boom, it's gone. Mm. Because also the anxiety and everything I feel and the way I see the world and the way I feel about certain situations is me. That's, you know, what makes Matt, Matt. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough one. So when I got to a really good place in my life, 
with, I have a really strong support network. I'm really fortunate to have a beautiful family that support me and a partner who really understands it all as well with me and is on that journey with learning all the coping mechanisms to help me and to help herself. And, you know, I think when I got to a really good point and I thought I really want to give back in mm. some way and that's kind of where the podcast came from. Yeah, awesome, man. Yeah. yeah, I love the little phrase you used somewhere in there around the difference between uh, helping you get better versus yeah. helping you get better at having those coping mechanisms. Yeah. Even that, you know, if people are listening and they're not aware of that distinction between trying to like solve a problem and trying to live with something that is a part of you. And there's heaps of stuff I've read as well that suggests that that's the thing, right? Like you said, the anxiety in somebody can can bring about the biggest challenges and obstacles, but it's also often interwoven with their creativity, mm. with their empathy, you know, with those beautiful qualities about them. So to reframe it around how do we live well with this, um, I think is really helpful. Absolutely. And I yeah. also appreciate what you were just saying about, yeah, the difficulty of describing, I guess, our inner world, particularly mm. if there's that anxiety in the mix to people on the outer world can be very difficult to do, but you seem to have some real good skills in that area. One of the concepts I've heard you speak about on your podcast is what you call white screen anxiety. Yeah. Really cool way of describing at least what your experience is like. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So white screen anxiety to me, this is a sort of way that I've been able to articulate how it feels in those sort of meltdown moments. I'm obviously a very visual person. So this was a way I spoke to someone who doesn't really experience anxiety and was sort of asking me, you know, what does it feel like when you're having an anxiety attack? How do you know if you're having an anxiety attack? White screen anxiety is if you imagine your brain as a big empty black screen and when there's nothing on the screen, there's no words, no pictures or anything, that's when you're completely calm and completely present and you're feeling really good about yourself. And then like anxiety can come on without any notice, you know, the word relationship could pop up. You start thinking about a problem you're having with your partner and then the word relationship pops up on that screen and then you're like, okay, cool. So you start thinking about that. But while you're still focused on that thought, another one comes in of work and you're like, oh, whether you're out of work or looking for work or you're having problems at work, something like that. And then the word work comes in and then all these other thoughts start flooding in and they're all in big white text. So, you know, um, it could be like family problems and uh, all these other things, finance, all those sorts of things. And these words start piling on top of each other and all the thoughts are still running through your head. Mm. And as hard as it becomes to read the words on the screen is kind of what it's like inside my brain. So I can't really decipher what's being said to a point. And then slowly and slowly the screen just completely fills white. And it's that point where I've got 20 different thoughts kind of running through my head and that's when you have like a full panic attack, mm. you know, anxiety attack. Yeah, it's that's probably the best way that I describe it is kind of it's really hard to decipher what's actually going on mm. and that's when I kind of have to take myself away and be like, okay, cool, I need to get out of my environment, go sit down, breathe and just slowly try and let the thoughts play out so that they start disappearing from the screen. Yeah. And then once they're gone, you're back to being present and being feeling calm. Yeah, it's a really helpful image and we're all different learners. I appreciate you kind of, you know, given that visual image that for some people will really 
um, bring that idea to life in a way that maybe they haven't thought about it before. Yeah. And hopefully, I mean, it might be, you might be listening and that might be exactly what you, you experience and you're like, someone's just given words to that. Yeah. Or you might be listening and you are in um, close relationships with people that have that experience. You've never really thought about it from that perspective. So it's really helpful. You shared before that like anxiety has kind of been there, you know, since you were a kid, since that kind of 9-11 sort of moment is one of those early memories of it. What are some of the things along the way? I mean, it's a long journey. Mm. Some of the supports that you've found helpful or unhelpful, some of those kind of key moments where you needed to reach out, get some assistance. What does some of that look like? So I think the biggest factor in my support network is my family. Mm. My family have been so amazing through the whole journey. On my podcast, I spoke a little about my mum and she's always looking for different remedies. And she has this thing with um, oils where she, you know, she has one of those oils for everything and she comes in every time I'm got a sore back or something going on, she'll pull out like a little roller and she's like, here, try this. My wife is exactly the same. Yeah. I'm very skeptical, but I, I just roll with it anyway. Yeah. See, I was, <laughs> see, I was very skeptical at the start as well. And my mom found this one that was just called balance. And she was like, oh, you know, try this. It just balances you out. And I was like, oh yeah, mom, like. I don't think it's going to help. It's I have anxiety. It's not going to help me with that. Whether it's a placebo or that actually does the trick, but I use it all the time. I have it in my pocket. 24, awesome. 24 seven. But yeah, so my support network is huge with my family. Um, anxiety is one of those things where I always say that it's, you know, not a one size fits all thing. It's, it can feel different a hundred different ways to a hundred different people. So mm. it's kind of just finding what helps you and what works for you. I do really encourage speaking up, you know, in the times where you're feeling good and you're feeling calm and feeling present and all that sort of stuff to try and articulate to the people close to you things that help in those situations. So something I always try and tell everyone is that we're not broken, you mm. know, just because you have anxiety or if you have a mental health disorder or whatever it is, you're not a broken person. You don't need to be fixed. Mm. But if they don't really know what's going on with you, they'll just try and do whatever they can to fix you. And in that moment, even if you can't articulate it, you might just want to be sat with. Like sometimes I have meltdowns and I know what's going to make me feel better and I know what's, you know, vital to getting to that point where I'm feeling calm again, but I just want to sit in it for a bit and I don't want someone to come in and let's do this, let's get up and let's go do this because it's not what I want. When you're finding what works for you, it's really important to tell the people who are going to experience that with you mm. so that they know, you know, even tell them when I'm feeling really anxious, I start doing this. Like I yawn a lot personally. I yawn a lot. I get real fidgety and twitchy and everyone in my family and my partner and all that know that now mm. because I've articulated it when I'm feeling good. So rather than them going, are you feeling anxious? Like how, how are you feeling right now? They just know. Because mm. sometimes if you're feeling anxious and someone asks you, it kind of elevates it. Yeah. So them not needing to ask me is a huge thing to help. And, yeah. and you must have all learnt that together over time. And Absolutely. that's probably part of what you're saying. You talk about your family being that strong support network. I imagine that the way that they understand and, and help um, you live with your anxiety now is very different to how it was Absolutely. when you were a nine-year-old. Yep. Were there challenges along the way? Did like what, what was the journey of growth like for your parents, for example? Yeah. So 
I think the hardest thing with the journey of anxiety is communication. So when you're in those moments and you're in those anxious moments and you can't speak about things, it's kind of when you need help and you need those people who are around it and kind of get it and know it or just are willing to get it and know it and willing to support. Mm-hmm. So when I was young, um, my parents found it probably pretty hard because I wasn't able to actually articulate what was happening to me and wasn't able to articulate what I was feeling. You know, if you've got a kid who's having a meltdown and he can't describe, you say, what's wrong with him? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's going on? And they're just, leave me alone. I don't, leave me alone. How are they going to know that sort of thing? So I think that was a huge learning curve of when I was going to see a counsellor and stuff like that, my parents were kind of learning that, okay, you know, we can't break down what's going on with Matt in that moment because he doesn't know Mm. or he can't say it. And that's the thing with anxiety is, when you're in those moments, you feel really alone because you feel so different to the outside world because you think it's not happening to anybody else. And I think that was a big thing along the way in my journey is my parents were trying to help me to see people who were telling me it happens to so many people. And it's really hard to contemplate that or mm. you know, come to terms with that going, okay, cool. Well, there's actually other people who are feeling similar feelings to me. That's not really something you ever think about. So obviously this this podcast is kind of interested in, you know, sort of a, an unfolding and evolving conversation around manhood and gender roles and what we've seen as really harmful expressions of masculinity. Some people prickle it even here in that kind of mm. phrase, I hate idea of toxic masculinity but you know you know we're talking about like yeah there's some baggage that we've all inherited from previous kind of molds and models and just one observation i would have it's probably a stereotype but it seems like a lot of the time men um you know look at things through that lens of wanting to fix something Mm. and i know that for me like yeah it's been a huge journey in my relationships with my wife with other with other women in my life um you know learning how to sit with people and how to sit with myself yeah, and just like exactly like you were talking about before, just sit with this is normal mm. rather than trying to fix it. Yeah. Have you experienced any of that either just the maybe more seeing men want to fix it and mm. be frustrated by not being able to mm. or in the way that you've treated yourself, has yeah. any of that come through? Yeah. So I think personally there was always this notion of like, you know, man up all those sorts of things like, you know, you shouldn't be feeling like that, you're a man, toughen Mm. up, all that sort of stuff. I think that's really starting to change. And in starting my podcast, I had people reaching out to me that I would never in a million years have thought had anxiety, all that sort of stuff. And and they're like, oh, it's so great to hear people speak about it because I think men can get really caught up still in those old notions of, you know, I've got to be the rock. I've Mm. got to be super you know, leveled out and all that sort of stuff and I've got to be able to handle this because people need me, you know, I need to be the strong one. It's not the case. Yeah, definitely you can be the strong one on occasions but everyone needs help sometimes and I think that whole masculinity thing is so different to a decade ago. Mm. I think the old version of, you know, maybe when my dad was growing up of 
no one speaking about unless you had like a physical injury of like a cut on your arm or a broken leg or something like that and no one would speak about their mental health mm. and we've all got mental health whether it's good or bad it's not a you know yeah. oh you're lucky you don't have mental health <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's, well, it's a ridiculous saying isn't it it's yeah. not the same as me saying hey you don't have health yeah exactly if you've got a brain you've got mental health yeah like and everyone's got a brain <laughs> so but yeah, I think with masculinity and all that sort of stuff is I noticed in myself in my early 20s, I was sort of caught up in that notion of, okay, you're 21, get over it. It's not part of you anymore. You're a man. It's time to man up. And looking back on it, I'm like, that poor kid. Mm. <laughs> so I was rough to that young kid because I didn't, understand that this was part of me and I was kind of ashamed really like ashamed in myself that I still felt like that which is not at all how anyone should ever feel Mm. anxiety is part of who you are and that's it wasn't until I kind of accepted that that I started moving on growing well what was the turning point between you being so unkind to yourself in that regard and sitting here now talking about your anxiety Mm. in such a beautiful way, Mm. what happened that helped you to like have that harmony within yourself? Yeah, I think it really came from my support network. The people that I had around me at the time were kind of vital to pointing out what I was doing with myself. And it wasn't until, you know, something, you know, you could always think it, but as soon as someone points it out, you go, oh, wow. I really was not doing the best. Mm. And my support network, my family, they kind of, it's not sat me down or anything like that, but it was kind of a thing where one of my really good friends at the time was just like, what are you doing? You don't seem happy. You don't seem like you're doing anything that makes you happy. Why don't you just pull yourself out of it? You know, I was partying a lot and it wasn't until I really pulled myself right back and thought, okay, what am I doing? Is it having a positive impact on my life or is it having a negative? And I kind of just, everything I thought was negative, I kind of just stripped it out and got rid of it. So like I didn't really party for a long time. Like even just going out with friends, I didn't really do that because at the time it wasn't making me feel good. Mm. I stopped doing carpentry because it wasn't making me feel good. I stopped doing whatever was happening in my life because it didn't make me feel good. And I only did things that I enjoyed. And you know, I'm really fortunate to be able to have done that because I was able to quit a job I didn't like and, you know, my family supported me in that time and all that sort of stuff, which is super fortunate. I really recognise that, that that's not the case for everyone. But, yeah, it was kind of once I stopped doing those things that made me super unhappy, I slowly started getting better and slowly started bringing people in like my coach cricket. I went to her the first day and said, I really want to get rid of my anxiety. I'm 20 something I'm so sick of it mm-hmm. how, what do I do how do I get rid of it and she was like do you want to know the short answer <laughs> sorry that's not possible she's like what I can help you do is feel good about who you are and feel good about having that as a part of you she's like you have so many feelings look at how positively that translates into your filmmaking mm. and how positive that translates into other parts of your life and look at how support of you as a friend, as a partner, as all these sorts of things that I'd never really thought about mm. until that point. 
I love that story, man, of you going and speaking to Cricket and having this desire to get rid of something that she helped to reframe as a yeah. part of yourself. And yeah. so often I think whether we're talking about mental health or manhood, masculinity, um, they're kind of both conversations about identity, you know, about this thing that we can run away from or, or we can learn to kind of redefine and tell a new story. For you, I don't know, thinking about maybe high school, mm. it sounds like it took you until you were in your 20s to have that external voice to help you to become comfortable with who you are. What were some of the messages when you were a young man that kind of made you maybe, I don't know, a bit disconnected from yeah. that comfort in your own skin? I don't think it was ever a message that anyone ever said to me. I don't think it was ever that sort of thing. But, you know, I went to an all-boys school through my high school years and it was interesting being in that sort of environment because it was very testosterone fueled. So when you're one of the young guys, you see the older guys and you see what they're doing and it was a very sports related school. So everyone was playing footy and, you know, sort of buying into that old mentality of masculinity. And I think, you know, somewhere along the way of going in there as a 12 year old kid to when you leave as an 18 year old kid, Oh, it's it's hard to sort of put a word to it, but you kind of lose that sense of when you can feel feelings. And it's not through anyone saying anything. It's always, you know, there's so many guys around you all the time. And it's like that old alpha pack mentality sort of thing. Everyone's trying to be the top dog and everyone's trying to be strong and super what they think because they see the older guys and they're like, oh, yeah, I want to be like that. But the reality is that everyone has feelings. Everyone has those things and they don't really show them until they leave. It just reinforces like a little loop that reinforces yeah. itself. Probably heaps of those young guys, yourself included, wanted to share what was really going on. Yeah, absolutely. But it takes somebody to break that cycle yeah. and that system. Otherwise, it just keeps on looping around. Definitely. And I think that cycle is already starting to break. With this whole mental health awareness push, I think – schools are starting to be like, okay, cool. We need to start recognizing this sort of stuff in students. But I always assumed that maybe being in a co-ed school, maybe you would have become a bit more sensitive to feelings because there's a lot more women around and you sort of maybe feel like you can be in a bit more of an invul- a vulnerable environment, but it could be the exact same. It could be the exact same as what I've felt. You may, maybe you're trying to put on a big brave face and testosterone fuel yourself in front of all the girls. It's not just in front of all the guys. Yeah, so probably depends on yeah. a whole lot of stuff, doesn't it? But exactly. I think for sure like the culture in either school mm. could could reinforce mm. some of those old stereotypes or it can, like you're saying, like as schools begin to hopefully have more conversations both about the kind of harmful expressions mm. of um, gender stereotypes as yeah. well as the kind of mental health, the importance of talking about it. Mm. It's interesting thinking that there's obviously probably an increased awareness in the prevalence, like the stats on young people and mental health. Yeah. Is it like one in four, one in four young people mm. will have a, a mental health challenge. Mm. Um, and so to actually create the culture where that can become something we talk about you'd have to hope that would bleed into, well, let's just talk about all the stuff Yeah, absolutely. that's hard to talk about. Let's yeah. just get good at talking. Yeah, I think that's something that's like super important with like young boys. Before any of that old stuff gets in, like drill into them that you can feel everything. Yeah. You don't have to take feelings, take them and leave them. Like 
you know, if you wake up in the morning and you feel sad, that's okay. Mm. If you wake up in the morning and you feel super stoked on life, that's amazing. But there's, you know, you can't be guaranteed to have a good day every single day. And I think that's something that's hard to emphasize in kids. There's so many different feelings and there's so many different situations. Nobody leads the exact same life. So how can you expect to feel the same as your friend? Mm. And how can you expect to have the exact same mental health as your friend? Even within a family, you know, if you've got anxiety and your older brother doesn't or your older sister doesn't or your younger siblings don't, it doesn't mean anything. You guys could have a very similar upbringing, but it just happens to people. It's just one of those things. And yeah. The sooner you start taking steps to feel better with it, the sooner you're going to start feeling better. Mm. You can run away from it all your life, but it's going to follow you. Yeah. You're never going to get away. Man, it's awesome to see, yeah, just the place that you've gotten to in terms of how you conceptualize it. Like it's easy to talk about, I don't know, like sort of like life hacks mm. and like, man, I got my essential oil for this yeah. or whatever. But yeah. but really what I can hear from you that I think is the biggest learning for me and maybe for others is like change the way that we talk about mm. this thing. Not yeah. like talk about it, but also change the way we talk about it. It's not something to be ashamed of. Yeah. You know, it's actually something to embrace in a healthy way. Mm, absolutely. And, and to learn how to like um be more fully human. Yeah. Right? So absolutely. and I'm I'm getting a lot out of this. If you could go back to I guess let's say your nine year old self mm-hmm. when you first started to experience some of this. Yep. And then maybe, I don't know, middle of high school, like fifteen year old self, what do you think are some things that you could say then? that those versions of you would really benefit from hearing. If I could go back and talk to my younger self, I think I would just try and emphasize that, you know, you're not alone in what you're feeling. You're not going crazy because you're not the only person feeling the way you feel right now. And that's something that it took me a really long time to come to terms with is that I'm not the only person who has anxiety. And, you know, I wish I would have, reached out for someone a lot sooner and sort of tried to get more help, but it's always, you know, hindsight's a crazy thing. But I really think my big message would just be you're not alone. I mean, a lot of what you were just saying, not just nine-year-olds or 15-year-olds need to hear that stuff, right? Yeah. You know, all of us absolutely um, can benefit from hearing that we're not alone. I think, again, that kind of goes against some of that yeah, maybe like stoic stereotype of masculinity where you do have to be really self-sufficient or that idea of manhood as, you know, being your own kind of mm. rock. Yeah. Actually, it's it's um, so good to be interdependent. Yeah. I love the way you talk about the importance of your support network and mm. I think that part of what we have to wrestle with is how do we actually help um, guys develop a really robust support network. Mm. One of the conversations I had as part of this series with a guy named Gus Warland and he was talking about how, well, 75% of suicides each year in Australia are are men and it's over 2,000 men a year, you know, taking their life and he describes it as like death by loneliness. Yeah. And you're most at risk as a man when you're between the ages of 15 and 44, like the number one cause of death in that Mm -hmm. category is taking your own life. Yeah. Which comes from not having that kind of crew where you yeah, can be real. Absolutely. Um, so I think it's so important that we kind of develop that. Yeah. And something I always add into all my podcasts is that it's not weak to speak. 
And I always yeah. say that and it's that sort of line that a lot of mental health things have, but it's so true. Mm. With my anxiety, I can sometimes it can sometimes feel like a real burden. The thought of expressing your feelings to someone else can feel like you're going to burden them with your feelings. But something that was always so surprising, and if, if you speak up to anybody, anyone you know, people that you're like not even super familiar with, if you say, hey, I'm, I kind of need a little bit of help, someone will help. For sure. It's kind of mind-blowing how, you know, once you realise that we're all in this together and, you know, a lot of the community would take the shirt off their back to give it to you if you needed it. Just speaking up to anybody and everybody, you slowly start building that support network and you don't have to be blessed with an amazing family. You don't have to go and see all the therapists under the sun. But once you start finding people who help in whatever you need help in, that's when you start building that really strong network of people. Yeah, and sometimes when we speak out first, we can then begin to shape a culture where other people then feel more comfortable doing the same. Absolutely. You know, one thing I say often on on interviews I do is just that, yeah, like through what we do, we give permission for other people to do it. Exactly. So when we speak out, it's like we're actually saying to our group of mates or our kids or our partners or our friends, mm. you know, I'm going to speak out. Mm. It's okay to speak out. You should too kind of thing. Yeah. To some people, you're like the guinea pig. Yeah. So like if people can, you know, relate to your feelings and relate to what you've what you experience and stuff like that. And you go out there and say, I need help. I need someone to speak to. Who can I speak to? Someone could be watching you, your life story and be like, I feel like I'm pretty similar to him or Mm. her. And I feel like I do the same sort of things. And they've just spoken out. And then a couple of months down the track, look how good they're going. They're doing amazing. I'm going to do that. And you, you know, like you said, by you taking that leap into the unknown, you could be empowering 20 other people. Yeah. You don't even know. It has a ripple effect. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, um, what are the things at this point in your day to day life or your week to week life or month to month life? What are some of the rhythms, some of the practices, some of the kind of, um, just things that you have in place that help you to live in that like healthy relationship with your anxiety and your self awareness of what you need? Yeah. I think the, Biggest thing that I always try to do, and it doesn't always work, but is to not fight it, is if I'm in a situation, if I'm out at the pub or wherever I am, out in a social setting and I'm feeling really anxious, these days I just leave. (laughs) So if I feel like me staying there, it's not going to get any better, I leave. And I think that's it's really finding what works for you. So for me personally, if I'm having a bit of an anxiety attack, I know that if I just go somewhere by myself and sit down with it, talk myself through it, be like, you've experienced this a hundred times before. It's going to be all good. You know, I always say it's like anxiety is like a storm. Yeah. Like it could come over crazy and there'd be lightning and, you know, really strong winds, but the sun is going to come out soon could be really scary in that moment, but you just got to try and sit with it. And the longer you fight it, the longer it's going to stay. So if I'm having a really bad anxiety day, I might not leave the house, but that's me. And I know that that's all right to do. Cause I'm like, you know, if I had a left today, maybe my whole day will end up pear shaped or sometimes I'm like, okay, cool. I'm feeling anxiety, sit in it for a minute and go, 
I'm really anxious in this moment, but I need to get up and go mm. because I'm going to be upset with myself if I don't. Yeah, so it, it can be really hard with your rhythm of your anxiety and finding what works for you because anxiety is always changing in yourself, in myself. I know it always changes and some things will work for me and next time I have an anxiety attack could be over something different and that same thing that was always my go-to doesn't work in that moment. So I feel like one of the important points of starting my podcast was to try and develop more skills and more coping mechanisms and learn things from all these different people in the field and all these different people who have anxiety and learn what they do. So, you know, me personally, I will go outside, leave a place and breathe, you know, do three seconds in, three seconds out, just slow my breathing right down. And that normally has the ripple effect of calming my anxiety. But then I've done that sometimes where you can't breathe in that moment. You're like, and you're hyperventilating. So then you go on, it's kind of like a list. So you just kind of try each one and go, okay, cool. That one didn't work. Let's try this one. You know, whatever it is, go drink some water. Each one, as you try it, you eventually find something that works. Mm. So, yeah, in myself, it's always changing. So all of my strategies and coping mechanisms are always different depending on what kind of anxiety I'm feeling. Yeah, I think what's cool about that is, you know, I'm hearing that you just have learnt more and more that you have to listen to, mm. to your body, to your mind, to what's going on, where your thought patterns are at that day, and then like having the wisdom of not fighting against it. But if you listen and you hear something, then you kind of respond as needed in mm. that particular moment, day, season. So there's a lot of wisdom in just doing that, right? We could all get better at that. Absolutely. And it's definitely not easy to just say like don't fight against it. You know, it's, I feel like it's only something that I've been able to do in the last couple of years. Yeah. I'm 28 now and I've had anxiety since I was nine. So it's like 19 years worth of fighting it essentially. But little wins, getting little wins on the board, like if you just – you know, one day you, your anxiety might be a little bit less than the day before or you deal with it well one day. That's like a win. So you're slowly just yeah. getting better and better and accepting it's part of who you are and part of what makes you the person you are. What do you think people who sort of don't personally struggle with anxiety need to know to be most supportive to the people in their lives? And look, let's be honest, if you're listening to this, if you're a human being, mm. there are people in your life yeah. that have anxiety. Definitely. The, the stats just, you know, that's just truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are the things that people that don't personally struggle with anxiety need to know in order to be the most helpful, compassionate, supportive kind of humans that they can for those in their lives that do? I think it really comes down to communication, not necessarily in that moment. If you've got a loved one or a friend or a partner or anyone who you know is who has anxiety or is struggling with anxiety, if they're having a full mental like moment or they're having a meltdown, try not to interrogate them in that moment because they might not be able to even articulate what they're feeling, let alone what you could do to help. So if you know someone or so you have someone that you care about and you, you know they have anxiety and you have no idea what it feels like, when they're feeling good, maybe just ask them a couple of questions. Say, hey, when you when you get really anxious, what can I do? Do you want me to just sit with you? Do you want me to get your water? If we're in a social setting, do you want me to be the one that goes, okay, cool, let's leave because you don't feel like you can do that? It's 
really like the biggest thing is communication. Mm. And if you're asking those questions, that person's going to know that you care. Even if you're asking in the moments where they're melting down, they still know you care. And if they can't articulate what helps at that moment, just maybe sit with them, try and calm them down. I always find if I'm really anxious and other people around me are really anxious, it kind of just like spirals. Mm. And I'll watch them being anxious and be like, oh, wow, they're anxious. That makes me more anxious. If you just try and, you know, if you don't experience anxiety, just try and sit calmly and breathe with them and be that person who can kind of mellow it out and let them know that they're safe where they are. They're safe with you. If you, if they don't feel like they're in a safe spot, take them somewhere safe. Mm. Yeah. It's just communication is a huge one. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. On the flip side, what about people listening to this who do struggle with anxiety? Mm-hmm. What do you think are the things that they most need to hear? And it might be things that they've heard before, but they almost, you, you know, we yeah, yeah. we need to hear things over and over again, yep. right? Yeah. You can always think it, but as soon as someone says it, you go, oh, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is you're normal. Like what even is normal these days? But like you're not everything that your anxiety tells you that you are. You know, it's it's going to pass. You know, if you if it really kicks you down one day, the next day when you wake up feeling all right, go, okay, I need to find something that makes me feel better. And like I always say, I'm a I'm huge advocate for speaking up and speaking to people. Go and tell your parents. Go and tell your girlfriend or your boyfriend, whatever it is, whoever it is, tell them. And if they don't know or they can't help, they're probably going to go, I can't help, but maybe they can. You know, you'd be surprised how many people actually feel like this once you start speaking about it. So many people that you would be unassuming. There's people who, you know, I say this in like inverted commas, they've got it all together. It's not the case a lot of the time. These people could be struggling exactly the same as you. Yeah. But how does anyone know who's struggling if you don't say anything? 100%. All right, here come the rapid ones. Here we go. Just one sentence, one word, kind of answers. Sweet. You have one essential part of your daily routine that you kind of can't live without. One thing that I do is just something that makes me feel good. You know, whether it's playing my Xbox, going and shooting something film-wise, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> shooting, shooting some film, or just like hanging out with my dog, hanging out with my partner, seeing my family, just something Love that it. makes you feel good. Every day, no matter what it is. Love it. We kind of already touched on this, but um, yeah, your 18-year-old self is sitting at the table right now. You got one sentence for that version of you. What would it be? Don't believe everything your brain's telling you. All right. Now your 80-year-old self is sitting at the table. He's got one sentence for you. What would you want that to be? You did well. Nice. You did good. (laughs) <clears throat> one book, podcast or film recommendation that you would just give to anybody who's listening to this? This is something that I've recently listened to and I listened to it like three times in a row. I really like biographies, like autobiographies. I just listened to Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights and I really like that sort of stuff because it kind of humanises these people who are put up on this giant pedestal and his book's really informative and you listen to it and you realise that he has you know, someone who's, you know, Hollywood lifestyle, he has the same struggles as everybody else. It's, yeah, 
it's really cool to listen to that sort of stuff. All right. Um, what's one characteristic you kind of most want to be known for as, as a man? Caring, I think. That's something that one of my personal values that I think I strive for the most is I want people to know that if they come to me, I'm going to listen. You know, I'm not one of those people who just shrugs everyone off. I'm caring. Yes, yeah, so that's yeah. what I kind of try awesome. to be. I want you to just finish these two sentences for me. Don't mm-hmm. overthink it. Yep. First one is I am. Enough. Awesome. And we are. All in this together. <laughs> Beautiful, man. Awesome. Well, it's been so good hanging out today, Matt. And uh, you've shared so much wisdom and I really appreciate you being, you know, doing exactly what you're talking about doing. You're speaking out. You're being vulnerable. Um, you're speaking kindly to yourself and you're kind of creating room for other people to, yeah. to do mm-hmm. some of that. What's your final kind of sentence that you'd want to leave listeners of this episode with? Probably just, you're not alone. We all have these trials and tribulations that we go through, but if you speak out, it's going to make you feel so much better. Awesome. Thanks so much, bro. Thank you. I appreciate it. This podcast has been proudly brought to you by the Central Coast Council and produced by Lead by Story. Music is by Josh Corkill with editing and mixing from Rowan Parry. I'm your host, Will Small. If you got value out of this conversation, then give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone you think would benefit from it. We get to decide what it means to be a man in the places we find ourselves. So let's make it kind, compassionate and strong. Catch you next time on Mankind.